Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. On today's show, we're going to be discussing the topic of immigration. Um, This is one of those subjects that, uh, like the subject of our last episode, has come up in the background of a lot of Punching Out episodes in the past. And I do believe that we had at least one specifically immigration-based episode It's all throughout the labor sphere in the U.S., so it touches on a lot of things. And it's been discussed, you know, in tangents and in whispers throughout a lot of other topics. But here we're going to give it its own focus. And the risk in doing that is that this is a discussion that can quickly balloon into every direction at once because it is everywhere. Um, it's, you know, we could have a whole episode on agricultural industry and its use and abuse of immigrant labor. For the start of today's show, at least, we're going to focus on a recent law in Florida, which um, takes aim at uh, undocumented immigrants and ostensibly the businesses that employ them but has had um, a major impact on that state's economy in the last month. Just to give a bit of an overview here, the New York Times has an article from early August with the headline, New Florida Immigration Rules Start to Strain Some Businesses. Um, Quoting from the article, after signing into law a raft of new measures aimed at undocumented immigrants in Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis said the legislation gave the state, quote, the most ambitious anti-illegal immigration laws in the country. It would, he said, keep Florida taxpayers from footing the bill for illegal immigration. Critics of the law warned that it would come with a price of its own and a costly one for a state that relies on hundreds of thousands of undocumented workers in agriculture, construction, and hospitality. Under the new law, which went into effect on July 1st, Hospitals are required to ask patients their immigration status and document the cost of caring for such patients. Many more employers are now required to use an electronic database to identify hires illegally in the country or face fines. And undocumented immigrants can no longer be sure that driver's licenses from every other state will be considered valid in Florida. Um, So this is really taking aim at the ability for immigrants to live in Florida to, to a large degree, to live in and work in Florida. Or travel um, to or, yeah. or otherwise like exist in the sphere of Florida. Or have family in Florida or, yeah. yeah. It's, I guess there is a philosophy of government that government needs to be like coercive and, and the, the stick more than the carrot as far as, you know, getting people to do things um because this is just designed to hurt there's no like benefits whatsoever to to, that could be gained from this it is just to punish people and create additional layers of not just access but like prevent people from accessing services and there's an argument to be made that that people who may not be documented aren't really accessing these services in any case unless it's a dire emergency so i it's it's just cruel it's just cruel from top to bottom well so there's there's a couple dimensions of cruelty here the first of which is that this is also meant to boost ron DeSantis's chances at being president because anyone who has ever seen Ron DeSantis talk or heard him talk or seen him do literally anything is not going to vote for him for president. So you have to do it based on his program 
as as governor. And this is the kind of thing that he does. He does these big sweeping where are your papers bills because he knows that that's red meat for the people he wants to attract. Second of all, on sort of a, a separate dimensional cruelty, can we talk about the fact that the New York Times is covering this? Not because it's an inhumane law, not because it makes undocumented immigrants even more second-class people than they already are considered under, I would argue, not even second-class, because that's already how this country treats like people of color and so on. Somewhere around third or fourth. And worse is that, not because of that, but because it strains businesses. That's why we need to know about this law. That's why we need the overview, because it's costing the people who own property, the business owners, the job creators, that's why we need to know about it. Which, again, tells you the other reason why Ron DeSantis is doing this, which is he can get away with it. Nobody in either party cares about these people. Nobody gives a damn about undocumented immigration. Every time the undocumented have stood up for themselves, it has been against both parties. They have had to convince both parties to come along with them, and it has been a struggle the whole way through. So... You know, it, it's it's an easy target that isn't DeSantis calculated wasn't going to cost him much. Right. And that's like, it's very interesting just from like a, a political point of view and a anti-federalist point of view that a lot of these very strict conservative laws that have gone into effect in the past couple of years um, around abortion, in this case, the like unvalidating uh driver's licenses issued by another state like the length that these politicians want to go to to make sure that other people in another state are also punished for for existing is really impressive and hypocritical are are you telling me that people who say they believe in states rights are actually full of crap and just mean they want to bring back the confederacy <laughs> i think i might be, I, yeah this is the first i'm hearing of this you're you're telling me that for the first time wow mm -hmm. shocking we should probably get into what this law actually does am i guessing that that's where you want to go next ryan yes though i i do think it was worth exploring the dimension of which um this is governing by stunt for desantis it's not so much about the practical effects of what he is doing as the attention he will garner for having done it. You know, he is trying to position himself in the Republican primary as Trump who can get things done. And so far, Republican voters have shown that, no, they kind of like the regular Trump more. Not really interested in the getting things done part. That's not the point. <laughs> Yeah, they, they like original recipe Trump. This is a, a point that I, I think does get made often enough. First time anybody's ever said that. But it's still fun to make it. These people aren't voting for Trump because he does anything. They're voting for him because he, putting him in the White House is your ability to like thumb your nose at your relatives over Thanksgiving. That's what it is. It It's a big old teenager, tongue stuck out screw you moment that that's what they're doing uh and it just so happens that he also you know allows people like DeSantis and so on to put into policies that that they all that these people all agree with because as lou pointed out these costs that DeSantis claims undocumented immigrants are uh causing to taxpayers are bunk none of this is happening they are not acting immigrants are not getting the majority of floridian health care Okay, the reason they work construction is precisely so that they don't have to pay them for that. Come on, anyone, anyone who even thinks about the situation for three seconds would know this, right? And like the 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 status of of uh, Florida taxpayers shouldn't be fitting the bill for undocumented people is ridiculous, given the fact that by and large. Anybody who, uh, even if you don't qualify for income tax, you're still paying sales tax. You're still paying uh, taxes on on X, Y, and Z. Like they're still taxpayers if they are existing in this country. It doesn't matter if you're visiting from another country. If you buy anything here, you are a taxpayer. And it it's mind boggling how quickly that is forgotten. 
forgotten, never learned, or purposefully ignored. And I think that's the important part. Uh, I, I want to bring that up, not just to further dunk on Republican voters, but because it's going to be a theme with the Republican politicians who voted for the bill, that they also don't seem to know what it does, how it works, whether it will be enforced, or anything else about it, really, which tells you something about how kind of in lockstep all of these people are, that they just point at the nearest brown person and go, that person is bad, and everyone just marches to that beat from then on. There's just no dis- no dissenting from that. Yeah, uh, to quote from the New York Times, um, to give some flavor of what Noah's talking about, even among some supporters of the new law, the early impact has caused concern. In a meeting with Hispanic religious leaders before the law went into effect, Rick Roth, a Republican state representative and farmer who voted for the bill, called on the ministers to convince people to stay. We are losing employees, he said during the gathering, video of which was widely shared. They are already starting to move to Georgia and other states. Um, No one could have predicted this. Yeah, like this was in obvious effect and you know if you believe the rhetoric of DeSantis and you know the people who pushed this bill through in the first place the intended effect right to drive Uh people out of the state and I obviously there's some schadenfreude that comes from seeing people hoisted by their own petard in this way you know the leopards eating my face and all that but I do think there's um, some of the discourse around this sees the way in which uh, these Florida and states like Texas and all throughout the country, which have are led by Republican politicians and deeply reliant on undocumented labor, they see a sort of hypocrisy in the way in which, you know, those politicians demonize against the labor their states depend upon. But I but I think it's worth viewing that in a different way, not as, you know, some hypocrisy, some gotcha, some logic trap that these people have stumbled into, but as power exercising itself. Like the point of having power is making other people work for you. The Correct. point of exploitation is to be the exploiter, not the exploited. Like they view the demonization and the having these people work for them as part of the same project. That's not a, you know, a dissonance or a hypocrisy. That is the whole ball game. Yeah. And any, anyone who has had to study totalitarian regimes, be it, you know, on ethnic grounds or, or grounds of sexism or what have you, the whole point of demonization it's not to like fundamentally change the nature of social relations. It is, if anything, to calcify them, to turn them into something that is permanent and that is much more dangerous for the people you have just condemned to be an underclass. And we cannot forget that this is a country founded on slavery and that never, never got its head out of its butt when it comes to that topic. They just kept finding new ways to subject people for this country's present and much of its history, the same people, to continued slavery by simply retrofitting the requirements or changing what we called it. And this immigration issue is part of that. It's how do we prevent, you know, voter person X, how do we prevent them from realizing that the person who picked the strawberries that they're, you know, buying at the farm market or or the person who built, you know, the, I don't know, the, what do they build anymore these days? The, the luxury apartment, the half vacant luxury front property. Yeah. Right. Yes. Good. Great. It'll be bought by Pinkertons. Yeah. The be- the guys who built the beachfront property or the, the person who cleans their hotel room, that those are human beings just like them. It- everything is built to keep you from realizing that because if you are not subject to the same laws as them, you must logically therefore be a different class of person. This is how these people think. Just to touch on the uh, beachfront property aspect of this all, uh, NBC News has an article about um, 
Headline, immigrants cleaning up after Hurricane Idalia wonder if DeSantis's immigration law will limit their ability to rebuild Florida. Um, you know, it gets into the ways in which this bill is creating a gray area and uncertainty for the people in the construction industry who would otherwise be, you know, happy to take on the rebuilding and construction that hurricane damages result in. Again, it's another article that, like um, the New York Times article, focuses primarily on the economic impact of all of this on, oh, you know, they say immigrants are bad, but did you know that immigrants help our GDP growth, Um, that they do necessary labor for us? Um, There's a tone of it that misses the mark here. Yeah, it's. I agree 100% with everything both of you have said as far as it like being the tone around this is very bad <laughs> to put it very eloquently uh, because at no point is anybody who would be impacted by this law uh, thought of or um, treated like a person with agency or with, uh, you know, homes, hopes and dreams and feelings. They are either a tool for advancing your political agenda by creating an underclass that is cemented in law. And, and that's, that's all they can do. They can't then just choose to not come to Florida, for example, or they're treated as economic engines. Um, at no point are they, they ever treated like people. Yeah. And continuing the theme, uh, NPR has an article about um, how sales are down at a Florida flea market and a new immigration law could be to blame, is the headline. To quote from the article, on a steamy summer day in Miami, flea market produce vendor Bessie Hernandez is doing her best to drum up sales. For decades, vendors at the Tropicana flea market have worked weekends under the hot sun, listening to music, trading jokes, and lighthearted stories. But lately, those stories have taken a grim turn, largely thanks to a new Florida immigration law. Um, Hernandez, who's been running her produce stand for 27 years, says as Latinos leave the state due to the law, she's losing her customer base of, quote, humble workers like her. No millionaire is coming to a flea market, Hernandez said in her native Spanish. Her sales have dropped 40% in a two-month period. See, and at least that NPR article, you know, recognizes that people coming from other countries can become, you know, something other than, as as Lou just said, as uh, something other than a person with no agency in the sense of, you know, being this, uh, a member of this class that we talk about because they do jobs that the majority of us don't want to talk about because they suck and are difficult and terrible and are only going to get worse. And so, you know, we, to, to, to mention them is like to bring their specter into the conversation. So this one at least recognizes that that law is also going to have effects on if, if you have come from, other countries and you've gotten to a point where, you know, you can make some money doing uh, uh, selling your services at, at some sort of a store or something that, you know, you're not necessarily working the quote unquote stereotypical industries that immigrants operate in. It will still mess you up. It will still screw you over. So it is also meant to remind the people who maybe aren't working in those jobs that, hey, we don't think of you as a person either. We are going to also ruin your life for having the audacity to, you know, try to work with your community and and give them stuff and so on. We want them. We want them scared. We want them dependent on the mercy of non-enforcement, essentially. And we want you to be reminded constantly that you are not people to us. You know, it, it's it's funny what you all mentioned about sort of the way that immigrants are treated. Now, obviously, this is a slightly different thing, but one of the reasons that Ron DeSantis won as governor, not the only reason, I mean, Andrew Gillum kind of imploded. But one of the reasons why he was sort of expected to do well 
is that he went out of his way to take to attend to the needs of Puerto Ricans who went to Florida after uh, sorry, I'm confusing Floridian elected officials. It was Rick Scott who did that. When he was running for Senate, he made a point of attending to Puerto Ricans who had come from Hurricane Maria and had gone to Florida of being with them there, of spending time in their communities and so on, and listening to their issues and trying to get like constituent service type stuff done, you know, very center of pothole type stuff. And that's one of the reasons why he won. And one of the problems that we have in this country is that whenever a community of Latine or black or Asian, basically any non-white community doesn't vote lockstep Democrat, the liberals also abandon them and blame them for their own predicament. I mean, they certainly do it with white people. We've seen the whole, you know, they're voting against their own interest and let the South secede and all of that stuff. You see these memes, but it's especially virulent when liberals think that they are due those votes simply on account of the color of your skin. And then you don't give them to them and they go, well, now we are really going to turn the screws on you. We're going to really stop caring. We're going to be so effective about things we do care about. Um, the one article of this trio to actually quote undocumented people is the New York times article, um, which Saves it for the end after concerns about tourism industry and, you know, construction, but does quote undocumented people um, from the article, an undocumented Mexican woman named Nivia, who like others would not divulge her surname, said later that she and her husband, a sheetrock installer, were considering a move to Chicago because they feared detention and separation from their four children. Quote, my young daughter with special needs would not survive, she said. Another daughter, Ashley, 16, said that her best friend left the state when school ended in May. A lot of kids were saying this might be the last time we see each other, she recalled. At last, we get to the impact this is having on the people it is targeting and not just the people who benefit from the presence of the people this is targeting. Um, it's, yeah, I... There's nothing good here. There's nothing pleasant you can say about all this. It's disheartening that there's, I want to say yet another group, but it's not like this is a new target for Republicans. It's disheartening whenever you see a small subset of the population singled out as uh, the cause of and solution to one's political problems and to make be made the butt of a joke for someone's uh, presidential hopes. Not great. I think we should wrap up this segment here. Um, When we come back, we'll get into some of how other states are trying to deal with uh, immigration politics. And nobody's really doing a great job of that, I would say. This is the United States we're talking about. But Other things are happening in this sphere, and we're going to talk about them. We'll be back. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Still hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. We're talking about immigration on today's episode, and our first ep- our first segment, rather, focused specifically on a recent bill in Florida, or recent law in Florida, which is throwing into jeopardy the ability for immigrants undocumented and otherwise to work and live and drive in the state of Florida, causing economic chaos, as the New York Times and NPR and CBS News are very happy to inform you. They've had their pulse on what really matters. Yes. In this segment, we want to 
branch out into the other of our 50 states because immigration, as I said at the top of this show, uh, it's everywhere. And specifically, I singled out a couple articles that are about Democratic governors who are trying to implore the Biden administration to expedite the process for asylum seekers who wish to have work authorization to be able to work legally in the country, because the current process is an incredible hurdle and by design an incredible burden and not really meant to make things easy for anybody. But as states like Illinois and New York have seen an influx of new migrants in many cases uh, shipped by bus from Florida and Texas as part of stunts by Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis, their governors, you know, these states are struggling to figure out what to do with the influx. By the way, real quick, DeSantis and Abbott, two of the most repellent ghouls on planet Earth, like legitimately human beings that the fact that we tolerate them as a society is proof this country doesn't deserve to continue living. One of them is bad enough. We tolerate both. It's not great. But I, I do think, I think, Lou, you had said during our break that, like, the point of this stunt about busing migrants was to, like, show that given a modicum of pressure, Democratic governors will turn to the same policies that Republican governors have. And unfortunately, to some extent, it seems they're correct on in that calculus. Like, Eric Adams is all but openly just saying New York doesn't have any room for immigrants. Never have never been a city of immigrants. Please do not have immigrants here. Yeah. We don't definitely don't have any like famous monuments to immigration or like, you know, national parks about immigration. So um, check that stuff out and some other state for sure. Yeah. The, The one state you would think, well, to be fair, Part of the problem, too, is that Eric Adams is telling Governor Hochul, uh, make the other counties do it. And the other counties are really sort of taking this as their moment to say, no, we're not like New York City, except in this one thing. We also don't want immigrants. This is the one thing where we agree with them. So, you know, the, the parts of New York that would really rather the symbol of the state be like, I don't know, the Yankees logo than... <laughs> The Statue of Liberty, they're, they're, they're really doing their best to protagonize this moment. Yeah, it's extremely disappointing and further evidence that like maybe this two-party system we have going on is just a one-party system with uh, different color schemes um, because like all of the Democratic county commissioners are melting down about having fewer than 100 uh, asylum seekers in their county uh, and like every single conservative right-wing machine that has been put into place in the past two decades has, is out in full force um, opposing again fewer than a hundred people in Monroe County living in hotels because they are not allowed to work or or have them housing anywhere else, frankly, because of the the immigration restrictions on asylum seekers. It's ridiculous and embarrassing. And I hope with hindsight that these people wake up. I doubt that they will. But yeah, there's at this point no difference. And it's really frustrating that Greg Greg Abbott and uh, DeSantis were correct in this bet that, you know, if you just make it somebody else's problem, they'll have the same reaction. It's, it's bad. They they correctly sussed out that in every state in the country, what you have is a combination of areas where we don't – they just straight up do not want immigrants. They just don't because they consider them to be, you know, insert cruel name here. Uh, we don't need to get into that. We don't need to give them that power. But 
they they think of them in in truly horrifying ways. And then you have, generally speaking, cities, not always, but where major metropolitan areas and so on, where the politicians sort of understand that they can't be that openly racist about it uh, or eliminationist, but they can sort of advocate for the concerns of the people who are while, like, keeping them slightly at arm's length somehow, which is a sort of... It's this idiotic two-step that in in so many Republican-dominated counties and so on, finally electing a Democratic mayor or a city council majority or a county commissioner or a county executive is supposed to be this big deal. And then the moment this issue hits, they instantly turn into the exactly same kind of soulless ghoul that their supposed opponents are. And it tells you how built into the bedrock of this country hatred of immigration is. I mean, this is, I'm telling this is kind of a joke, but, you know, we live in Rochester. I have seen Border Patrol cars. Their second language is Spanish. For those of you who don't know where Rochester is, we're on the Canadian border. But there's no French to be found on those cars. Which you would expect if they were actually worried about who's going to come in the clo- from the closest area. But it's not about that, because it's about brown people. That's what it always is about. It's about we don't want people that, you know, cook food that we don't consider fine dining and speak languages that you can't necessarily learn in a regular old high school and so on. That's what it is. And that drive sort of undergirds all of this. It's the ping-ponging of refugees between Eric Adams and the rest of New York State it's the the fact that they can't find, quote-unquote, 72-point air quotes, facilities to put them in because they all happen to be in a massive state of disrepair, probably at least in part because Eric Adams loves nothing more than cutting public funds and handing them to his cop buddies. And it's in the fact that even, you know, J.B. Pritzker is also asking for this kind of thing. To the point about Pritzker, there's an article from CBS News, it's... Calling it an article might be a bit much. It's like five paragraphs about how Pritzker and uh, Dick Durbin, who is a Democratic senator of Illinois, you know, had a press conference asking Biden, you know, let's expand work permits here. Let's uh, try and get people who, um, as the article notes, migrants cannot apply for work permits until five months after they've applied for asylum in the U.S., process that can also end up taking months, you know. If we can get these people working, a quote from Pritzker here is that uh, we can, quote, tap into the extraordinary value that immigrants bring to our workforce, which, you know, not the framing that we here on Punching Out would have, I think, about this issue. But I, I do think there is a point here about how because the country is so anti immigrant like these people aren't even allowed to work legally people who have gone through the legally allowed channel of applying for asylum you know they have not crossed the border illegally they are asylum seeking uh, you know people and they got to wait several months before right. they can work. And so what are they going to do if not linger around shelters? Because they certainly can't afford New York City rent. Yeah, it's once again, like the whole point of the immigration process in the U.S. is cruelty. It's it's burden. It's trying to make it as horrible a process as possible so that you know, a lot of folks will choose not to try to try to go through it. They'd rather like risk the the poor living conditions they are trying to flee or or go to another country. You know, we're not pro everyone should work on this show. Like we are very much pro everyone should be able to afford a living without being forced through the indignity of work. That said, it, it has got to be incredibly frustrating 
to someone fleeing the circumstances in their home country to come here and then be told that you can't do anything. You can't start you can't start your life. You have to just be in place. And that's against the nature of any human to just be forced to sit and wait. And like psychologically, that's got to be devastating. And then just to be told, you know, wait, because we put so much value in our culture on what you do for a living and whether or not you work to be told that you are not allowed to work is to basically say to them, you have no value right now in our culture. Cause that's how it works. If you don't aren't working, if you're relying on, on assistance from the government or other people, you are worse than garbage in our, in many ways and in, in many people's eyes. I, I think that's exactly correct. The idea is to keep you from becoming a person as long as possible, because in the U.S., you're only a person to the extent, frankly, you're really only a person to the extent that you own anything. But technically speaking, you're a person if you're legally working. That That's enough to like purchase some personhood in the United States. And the, you know, it, it's, it was bad enough under the previous immigration regime, but ever since it became the province of the American Gestapo, that is the Department of Homeland Security, which there's not really a word to describe how stereotypically I'm having a very hard time verbalizing how evil the fact that that department exists immediately makes the country. You know, it is it, the fact that that's a cabinet level department that is basically keep every, keep all the baddies out. Except the ones that, you know, we've uh, parachuted back to us from their various places where they did their war crimes and whatnot. Is is an incredible, in, incredibly on the nose uh, vocabulary management there. But giving control of immigration to a bunch of people who do nothing but police brown people. You know, they they really only work with other Homeland Security agencies. They don't, they're not spending all their time, you know, sitting around with like, I don't know, OSHA inspectors or like park rangers or whatever. They spend all their time with other people who have guns and want to use them and feel annoyed that they are not allowed to just shoot you on sight, which by the way, they are. I don't know why these people are so worried about that. So the result of that is an immigration regime that is basically built to, like, make the worst people in the United States feel good about themselves. And not, like, that they're good people. I mean to, like, fire the pleasure centers of their horrible, horrible brains. That's what all of this government policy is built on. It's to make the cruelest, evilest people in this country happy. Because, as we've now repeatedly mentioned, politicians in both parties understand that you win votes by making those people happy. I want to quote a bit from this uh, CBS News article about uh, Kathy Hochul, who's making a similar request from the Biden administration, but uh, much greater length than the article about uh, Illinois. Hochul, not a hero in this story by any means. The article notes how she's going all out to prevent migrants being housed in any county outside of the five boroughs, but does come off better than a lot of the other public officials mentioned in the article. Quoting from her directly, these individuals are literally fleeing for their lives, political strife, gang violence, extreme poverty, and persecution. They're coming to this country with the same goal that my once impoverished Irish grandparents did just to build a better life for themselves and their families. I would say drink, but with Kathy Hochul, that's a way too easy joke. <laughs> you know, you know, again, she's asking for 
just the ability, like the legal authorization for these people to work. Because I, I do think one of the effects of the fact that they're not allowed to work is to make them targets, to make this specific influx like a flashpoint almost, where you have, you know, 10,000 people in New York City in one location and a few shelters across the city. They become targets in a way that the, you know, 10 million undocumented immigrants who already have lived in the country for years, for decades, aren't really because they've been allowed to blend into the background and, you know, to work, you know, as grueling and exploitative as that work has uh, generally been. I, I don't remember exactly what month we had the episode about child labor and the immigrant children who were at work in the meat plants and uh, cornfields of the country. You know, this is not to say that the solution is, you know, the status quo ante of, you know, letting everybody just work for whatever exploitative boss will hire them. But in the absence of even that, we're having what, is being made out to be a political crisis in blue states at a time when border crossings are at pretty significant lows. It's not that there are more people than ever before. It's that there's this log jam of like letting them be people. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, I think it's worth absolutely as you're, saying with the the migrant children working in meat plants like the the swing of this is people who are coming to the country specifically and only to work um the h2a visas where basically they apply through an agency in another country to work for usually agriculture in the u.s um and typically these folks are coming from mexico and like that is also extraordinarily exploitative and it leads to all of the situations we talked about in the um, child's labor episode where um, people are being forced into debt and then have to work off that debt. Uh, we call that slavery. You know, it's, it's human trafficking. It's that just with a government stamp on it, uh, which is horrifying. And that's also in the same like vein or, you know, affected by the rhetoric around immigration. Yeah. The, the incredibly bleak picture of whom this country forces to work is aided by the fact that it's, you know, how do I put this? You can call yourself a farmer, even if you pick zero of your own produce in an entire year. You can call yourself a contractor, even if your hands are as soft on December 31st as they were on January 1st. We live in a country where people are so seduced by the myth of the, the country's, like a weird American version of the country squire or the yeoman farmer, where it's, you know, you, you have access to this working class uh, affect or aesthetic. You know, you drive the pickup truck and you drink, well, you don't drink Bud Light anymore. I guess you drink Modelo now. You don't drink any fancy IPAs. And, you know, you wear, you wear jeans and boots and, and that sort of thing. And almost none of these people are actually from that class. And meanwhile, the people that are actually doing the work that <laughs> could not more incontrovertibly put them in that class have no power to affect their circumstances, formally speaking. They are there to scare everyone else. They are there because that work needs doing Someone has to do it, and the choices for the government and the rich are either force American citizens to do it, 
and they won't, and they will rebel long before you ever force them to work in the fields. Like you try asking, uh, you try asking Jason Aldean in a small town or anywhere else to go pick fruit for a year and see how he reacts. It's not going to go well for you. Actually, he has chicken legs. It'll be fine. But that's not the point. They are there to keep everyone else in line. That is what the underclass is meant to do. That is why you create one. So that everyone else thinks there but for the grace of God go I. Which is completely untrue. It's there. That you, you would be there if not for the fact that they would prefer you not complain about the job that you do have, which may or may not need, actually need doing, but they like having you where you are, also scared and terrified that you might lose your station and end up doing what this other person is doing. There's a grim irony in the way that all of this is happening during what we have been constantly told is a worker shortage. At every turn over the last year or two, we have heard from businesses and business owners and farm owners and restaurant owners that there just aren't enough workers for the jobs they have available. You know, unemployment is at 3%. You know, workers are pretty busy at at the uh, current rate here. And yet, we're still seeing migrant labor who in a econ 101 sense you would think could fill that vacuum be denigrated and treated with disdain and you know rejected in some cases almost like the efficient working of the economy is not the point and that something else is at play in the logic here there's an article here from uh, Michigan NPR about a congressman there who um, is pushing for a rollback on migrant worker wages in order to aid failing um, farmers. NPR uses the term farmers. I'm sure I know, Noah, you yeah, would have a... Uh, that is exactly who I was thinking of <laughs> when I said that. Criticism there. The article here quotes this uh, quote-unquote farmer, Jim Cohn, who has been growing apples for half a century, you know, real salt of the earth type, says, starting seven years ago, Cohn has used about a dozen migrant workers from Mexico to pick his apples between August and November. They've come through the H-2A visa program. The program screens applicants and connects them with farmers in the U.S., provides needed labor for farmers, and ensures travel, lodging, and other costs are covered for the migrants, and also sets a specific wage the migrants will be paid. This year, that rate rose to fifteen thirty-seven an hour. And this is just something that Cone cannot abide. This is a bridge too far, and he has enlisted the help of his local congressman, a Democrat, to try and freeze migrant worker wages. That's great. Inspiring yeah. stuff. Great mm-hmm. two-party system we got going. If you assume that workers can equally enter a contract with equal like power as an employer, um, which is a big assumption, uh, you would assume that that contract, what they're being paid for their labor, would be sacrosanct. Um, apparently, it's not anymore. I mean, my God, I didn't know we could retroactively like reduce somebody's wages. That's breakthrough. Yeah, it's amazing what we're able to do with technology these days. Semi-representative democracy is techno is is sort of a technology if you think about it. That's true. We should end this segment here. And when we come back, we'll have a little bit of time to talk about what does a humane way of treating people who aren't born in this country look like? You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. You can subscribe to the show or listen to past episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and other podcast apps. We are also on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Now back to the show.
Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. Yo. And Lou. Hey, guys. In our first two segments today, we've been talking about immigration and specifically in the context of, obviously, in Punching Out, we're always talking about workplaces. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about immigration in the American context. But as I alluded to at the start of this show, this is a global issue. This is happening not just in the United States, but around the world. Um, part of my research for today's show, you know, dragged up an article about subcontracting policies in the EU and how, you know, Sri Lankan meat workers are being exploited in Italy and Romanian meat workers in Germany. I came across an article on how Haitian workers are treated as this second, third class other in the Dominican Republic. Even in places you really wouldn't think of at first thought, these issues are right, you know, are there if you go looking for them. And with a topic this broad, we are not going to come up with one neat trick to solving all of the problems in 10 minutes of radio here. But what I want to do with this last segment is pose the question of how should we on the left as socialists be orienting our thought here? How should we think about all of this in a way that at first doesn't exacerbate the problems existing governments are already doing and causing? And Something that I have said frequently over the years is that I... I think it is a bizarre way to frame rights in that how many rights you have, your ability to exist in the world is dependent on where you live and where you were born. So you don't have any choice over whether you're born in the U.S. or Canada or Mexico or Japan or, or, or wherever. But that has so much influence over how you can navigate space it it determines what your rights are and i think that's a ridiculous way to live uh because nobody has ultimately nobody has choice over that nobody can do that but it, it still determines what you are allowed to do and as a marxist primarily like to me like the ultimate dream is to get rid of all borders because that I think is such a barrier literally to people being equal is saying that because you, you live or you were born on this foot of land, you are different from somebody born the next foot over. I think that's ridiculous. And it has an impact over everything, especially what we've been talking about this hour, immigration and, and where you can move and live and work. And I think that that is the goal, perhaps, in how we get there. You know, I think that the U.S. needs to be held to its own standards. So the U.S. can sanction other countries for not uh, having fair labor practices. It can say, well, use forced labor, use sweatshops, whatever. Completely skipping over the fact that that happens in the U.S. all the time, every day, that so much of our, our labor system right now is exploitative. It is slave-based, either because of immigration or prison labor. All of these things are in the U.S. system, and nobody can hold us accountable to it. So finding a way for the U.S. to be held to the same standards that it holds other countries would be amazing. One point of comparison that I I found helpful in talking about this is like, you know, when I went to college, I moved from New York to Massachusetts. You know, it's six hours from Rochester to Boston, roughly. And I didn't have to let anybody know I was doing that. I didn't have to sign any paperwork to cross the New York-Massachusetts border. But if I had gone, you know, three, four hours in the opposite direction, gone west towards Canada the process would have looked entirely different. That border is policed and enforced 
at all in comparison to the New York Massachusetts border, which for most intents doesn't really exist in daily life. And like the US Canada border is a very gentle expression of this fact. The US Mexico border is obviously a much more harshly policed thing. It's more militarized, more violent. Just last week, there were like a border patrol firing shots into Mexico for God only knows what reason. It's absurd when you think about it that one of these borders is just a line on the map and the other is the border between life and death. And I know that the idea of an international like OSHA kind of thing is such i i know that there are a lot of people listening who will say that that's really a pipe dream but you know we are trying to change the world here ultimately we are trying to make it better and i don't really see how you can i don't really see how this gets fixed long term without something like that but in the short term and this harkens back to a human resentment email we got ages and ages ago the best thing you could do really is put the onus for not for administering the process of immigration but the onus for trafficking for abuse for all of those things on the people who employ and traffic and abuse undocumented immigrants which are very often and i'm want to be clear because i don't want to get us in legal trouble i am not accusing any of the people from the various articles that we've read but who are often people from that class. They are business owners. They are quote-unquote job creators. And sometimes they create those jobs by, you know, transporting people from other countries to do it for them, and they don't always treat them very well. One thing that you could do in the short term is turn the screws on those people. Now, that would require things like having a much more active OSHA that had staff, like people that work there, that would be important. You would have to obviously pass some kind of stiff penalty and that kind of thing. Frankly, I think it would be pretty fun if you were if, if you were found guilty of any kind of immigration law violations, if you had to make your uh, your your business a co-op uh, owned by its employees immediately. That would be fun. What we're dreaming, but there should be consequences for the people actually committing these acts. And I do realize while I'm saying these this that there are laws on the books that do have penalties for these things, and they are often not enforced. I am not saying that we should simply enforce these laws for two reasons. One, you're going to need more than them. Two, the laws aren't what matters. What matters is that in this country, we view migrant workers as unpeople. I read an essay probably a month ago now by John Grisham that talks fondly of how he learned to play baseball by playing with a migrant worker on the farm his family lived on, who was exhausted, but realized that probably keeping this white kid happy was very important to his continued livelihood. So even though he was exhausted every night, he'd still find time to play baseball with little John Grisham. And he had no self-awareness about this, no, no reflection on it. He didn't get it. That's where most people are. On this, I do think that if you had stronger regulations around these things, if an undocumented immigrant had a government agency that they could go to and say, this is what is happening to me, and that agency had the teeth to then, you know, go in, not guns blazing, because we all know how that ends, but perp walk some quote-unquote farmers and some quote-unquote contractors and some and some hoteliers and whatnot and march them into court and sort of lay it out in front of them. That's the kind of thing that the U.S. as a culture respects, the ability to call somebody else to account. And maybe that would help us start seeing them as people because right now, even people who I think in, in many ways are well well-intentioned simply don't. For this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Lou. I was Noah. And this is Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out, 
You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.